glad you're here today. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 11 in those Bibles you had. If you, uh, we read those scriptures earlier, but it would bode us reading them again in Matthew chapter 11. We're going to be at verses 28 through 30. If you have those in your Bible, let's take a look. Come to me, all you who are weary and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest in your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The context of this passage deals with the burdens the false teachers of the Pharisees were enforcing upon the people. It opens with a discussion, this section of Scripture, about the difference between the teaching of John the Baptist and the teaching of the Pharisees and goes through several whoa, 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 whoa. W-O-E, not W-H-O-A. Jesus ends His message with an incredible invitation that we just read. It's an invitation to come, to take, and to learn. Terms of transformation that provide a framework, if you would, for understanding a call of God that's upon our life. Every one of us have a call of God in our life. The false teaching of the Pharisees had called the people to embrace rules and regulations. I am so glad today that we don't have to follow rules and regulations. That we are saved by the grace of God. Can I get an amen? amen. Because my concern as your pastor is, I would perform the role of the high priest... And I would have to take your sacrifices into God and present them before God. And if your sacrifices weren't adequate and weren't the right kind of sacrifice, I would pay the penalty. I would die. So I'm grateful that I don't have to rely on you to save me. And you're real grateful. <laughs> I'll finish that, Brother Jack. <laughs> that you don't have to depend on me to help save you. Praise God. Isn't it great that the cross has done it for us? Hallelujah that Jesus has done it for us. Worship is not something that they longed to do. It was something they had to do in order to acquire God's blessing. Following God became more of an obligation instead of adoration. We need to come to church to praise the Lord. Our hug and howdy time is, I think, one of the highlights for you. I watch every Sunday. You get out of your chair, you go find somebody, and you chit-chat, and you stand in the corner, and you chit-chat. We're trying to sing and go on, and you're still back there chit-chatting and carrying on. And you know what? That's what brothers and sisters are, aren't they? That's what family's about, isn't it? Because when you don't see each other for a long time, and for most of us it's seven days in between seeing each other, we got to say, hey, what's going on? Amen? Got to hug a little bit. I had an elder in a previous church. He said, preacher, I like that hug and howdy time. I said, why is that? He said, because the first time I can hug women and my wife doesn't get mad. <laughs> I thought, whoa, brother, I don't think that's the intent, but whatever. <laughs> but I just want to ask you, have you gotten in the rut or in the way of faith that Jesus was addressing in these passages of Scripture. Maybe you're here this morning because you're just a Christian. 
Maybe you are here just because you're a member of this church. Maybe you're here uh, because the longing in your soul is causing you to be here. Are you drawn and compelled to be a part of the kingdom of God by the power of His love and grace? You see, we all arrive at a point in this point in Matthew's Gospel where Jesus is addressing a group of people who had lost their longing for God. So often in church, we lose the longing for God. If you've been married a number of years and you lose your spouse, there's a longing for that spouse's to be there. You want them by your side because you miss them. Because they meant so much to you. Don't you know that's how God feels when He watches us drift? When He watches us become complacent? And I know you may be sitting there going, well, He's sure not talking about me, boy. I mean, I, man. Maybe I am. You see, I want you this morning to be open to let the Holy Spirit pop you. To pop you. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you today. Listen as we go through this morning. There are two word pictures that are presented in our text, 28 through 30. The first one is that of a ship loaded down with supplies or cargo. The King James Version, and you don't hear me say this very often, but the King James Version probably translates this better than most others when it says, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden. The term laden in this verse is a shipping term. Describes the supplies or the cargo that's in transit. Jesus was talking to a group of people that had heavy burdens. Their ship was full. They were overwhelmed. Life was more than they could carry. Their circumstances of life, whether it was failed relationships, sickness, personal failure, financial pressure, religious legalism, whatever experience it was, it had become too burdensome. And folks, we're living in this day. If you have money in the stock market, and you're depending on that money, that guy that took $90 million with Fannie Mae and left, he took it with him. And then got upset because the government wouldn't give him his bonus that he was supposed to get when he left. You know, he's going to struggle with $90 million, don't you know? He's going to really struggle, especially on Judgment Day. Jesus used a word picture to describe how a lot of people live today. This life has become burdensome. So heavy that we feel as though our lifeboat is going to sink under the pressure. Many times the church or those that profess faith in Christ really don't offer anything new. I heard one of our congressional leaders, somebody asked him, what are you going to do about this? He simply said this. I thought, what tremendous leadership coming from this person. He stood up and he goes, I don't know what we're going to do. Get out. I don't need you leading the ship, brother. You don't know what we're going to do. I can tell you what we're going to do. We're going to fall on our knees before the cross of Christ and we're going to get back right with God. That's what he should have said. You see, but he won't do that. 
We've got Christians that won't even do that. We've got Christians that are still trying to run their own life. You better get to the cross and get on your knees, amen. Whoo, glory. Second picture that he puts in here. Ship laden with supplies. Second one is a yoke. And we don't see many yokes today. Unless you've got it yoked up to a John Deere tractor. <laughs> it was normally used, a yoke was normally used to describe an ox yoke. And, and they were used to pull plows and carts. You see them in other countries, but you don't see them so much here anymore. And the two word pictures, this ship with a cargo heavy laden, an animal with a yoke placed on its neck. Also, a yoke was used to describe a rabbi's teachings where the students would embrace or place upon their backs the teaching of that leader. And the image is clear that the false teaching of the Pharisees along with the struggles of life had just become too heavy of a burden and they were desperately in need of a blessing from God. And with those two word pictures in your, in your mind, he then talks to his listeners and he says, he gives three terms that describe how God wants to transform our lives. God doesn't just want to make your life better. He wants to transform your life. You see, one of the key things about being a growing Christian is are you any better today, are you growing today than you were 20 years ago? Than you were 10 years ago? Than you were 5 years ago? Are you hungry for the Word? Do you get up every day and have a hunger to want to get into the Word of God? To have God touch your life? And I know you may say, man, I, preacher, I don't even know where to start. Hey, great, let me spend some time with you. And I'll give you some ideas where to start. But are you even hungry to want to learn it? Are you even hungry to want to know it? Are you even hungry to want to be around it, you see? Are you thirsting after righteousness? Is your life so bad? Do you look in the mirror and go, ah, ah, ah? Or do you look in the mirror and say, boy, i got a ways to go? Do you see yourself as a work in progress? Or do you look at yourself and say, I've already arrived? You see, so much... So many times Christians, we, we just think we've got it all together. And we don't have to work anymore at keeping our salvation sure. Hebrews says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, you've got to work at it every day. You can't get up and hope it happens. That's why marriages fail. It's because husbands and wives quit working at it. You don't send the notes. You don't buy the flowers. You don't do the thing. Well, yeah, well, she knows. No, she don't know. Tell her. I love, I love men that won't say, I love you. I love it. When the wife will say, I love you, and he'll say, oh, really? yeah, ditto. Yeah, 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 you know. See, I had a dad like that. My dad, oh, he loved us. One of my brothers asked, he said, Dad, do you love us? He goes, I put food in your belly, drop roof over your head, clothes on your back. I love you. Oh, man, that was sincere, heartfelt. Don't you just want him to put your arm around you and say, I love you. One of the things I love to watch are dads and sons interact after football games. Dads will come up and they're so proud of their boys for how they played or in any sport. I've watched them do with their, with their daughters and they're just so proud of them. They're high-fiving them and patting them on the back and rubbing their head, you know, getting those oh, uh, sweaty head, you know, running their hand through it. 
Because you see, they actually love them and they really want them to know, I love you, I love you, I love you. You cannot tell your children enough, dads, that you love them. Dads, start telling your kids you love them. Hug them every day. Say, I love you. I love you. They'll get sick of it. I like that one commercial that's out. An old dad's dressed in a 60s uh, uh, silver outfit. You've seen it too, haven't you? Hey, son. You know, the kid's walking off over there. A little extreme, you got it, but you know. Tell them. Tell them. And we need to lift the burden. Kids are under such pressure today, folks. I mean, GPAs, CPAs, everything, they're under pressure. Student loans. Got to have the right uh, ACT score. If it's not this, this, this amount, then they're not even going to let you in school. What? You mean they won't take my money if I give it to them? No, if you're dumber than a brick, they don't want you to come. Boy, the pressure's on them. And then they got to work, try to get gas for the car, insurance for the car, because the old man says, I'm not going to buy it. I mean, it's just pressure on them and on them and on them. And then we get to church and we tell them, kids are about to explode. But the adults are too, aren't they? Because they go to work. Any day you can go to work and not have a job. Amen? Yeah, it don't matter. We're all just one meeting away from not having a job. They can look and you can be the most productive person in that whole office. The whole office. You can be the most productive. Do the most sales. Do the most. And they fire you like that. And you step back and go... That's when you sing, leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. That's why you're crying. You're leaning. <laughs> Baby, guess what happened to that? It's hard, though, isn't it? Are we under pressure? Yes. Jesus is calling us, inviting us. When he says in, the, in our text, come unto him. John 1.12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become a child of God. He commands us to come, yet at the same time he respects our willingness to choose. He doesn't automatically make us a follower of Christ. He doesn't manifest his power and his glory in such a way that forces us to be born again. He just simply extends an invitation. And the Bible says it clearly is. Anybody thirsty, let him come unto me. Anybody hungry, let him come and eat of the bread of life. Isaiah 1.18 Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, they shall be wool. And the Bible goes on to say, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. In the beginning, as John said, Jesus invited us to come. And it ends in Revelation with the Spirit and the Bride saying, Come. It requires, because we're all sinners. We are all disqualified to earn God's love. But we've got to quit working so hard at it and just accept the invitation. Just accept the invitation. Because you see, there's no amount of labor, no amount of work that I can do, you can do, any of us can do, that's ever going to make somebody with a sinful heart, good enough to enter heaven. 
You see, it requires a work of God. We need to quit trying to keep all the rules and regulations and receive Christ's invitation. He is talking to those that have tried to find some type of purpose, meaning, and pleasure with the things of the world. There are so many people that are so still focused on the things of the world that they've forgotten about God. The interesting thing, as we watch the financial crisis cripple this country, you're going to have to do one of two things. Either run from God and hate Him or come to Him in repentance. And the quicker we come to Him in repentance... Second Chronicles, the promise is, God said, if my people who are called by my name. Got that? We're not talking about everybody else out there. We're talking about God's people. If this church, if everyone in this church who calls himself God's person, he's my God. If you will repent, seek his face, turn from your wicked ways, he'll hear the prayer and heal the land. Woo. Woo. The invitation is the same. The invitation is for us to fall on Him. It's not for you to stop to, to stop keeping all the rules and regulations, but it's to stop sinning. It's to stop rejecting the offer of eternal life and receive the invitation. The invitations for children. The invitations for the senior adults. The invitations for the famous of society. The invitation is for the average variety folk that we meet on a daily basis. The invitation is for those with 401Ks and those with $4 and a penny in their checking account. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. The invitation's the same. Jesus does not extend one invitation to the rich, a different one to the poor. Doesn't, doesn't give one to the men, to the women, doesn't to the children, to the adults. He doesn't make it different according to your status in life. The only way you can get to a heavenly father, the only way you can find rest for that weary soul, the only way you can get to heaven is by accepting the invitation of Jesus Christ in your life. Because he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Second major term that occurs in our, in our text is take my yoke. Part of accepting the invitation is embracing our position. We're called to take the yoke of Christ. And many of you have heard this verse before. And when I read it a while ago, I bet some of you just simply said, yeah, I've heard this before. And you just kind of tuned it out and you're kind of thinking about other stuff. Hey, tune back in. Tune back in. Because I want to give you some new information. I want to give you something that you can put your hands on. I want you to take something that you can put on like a coat. I want you to take this home with you. I want you to apply it to your life. Because many of you are starting to tune it out. But imagine what it may have been like if you were hearing Jesus give this message for the very first time. He's already addressed the whole concept of people who are burdened they're stressed out. Life is more than they can bear. They feel like ocean waves are crashing down upon them. They are carrying weight on their back. Somehow, they need relief from the pressure and the demands of life. Jesus says, I can tell you how to get release and relief from all of this. What you have to do is take. Take. And you're moving to the edge of your seat because you're wondering what He's going to say next. Maybe you turn to that person next to you and say, Hey, I heard Jesus turn... Water into wine. I wonder if he's going to tell us that we need to drink wine. We can get wasted. I mean, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. What, 
what we uh, will do is that we'll just drink our problems away. Can you imagine anybody ever thinking that they can drink their problems away? Can you really imagine that life would be so bad and so heavy that someone would turn to alcohol for help? Happens every day. How you're sitting on the edge of your seat and life is so heavy laden. You hear Jesus say, take. And you wonder what He's going to say next. And you think, hey, I know. He fed a bunch of hungry people with bread and fish one time. I know what He's going to do. Instead of bread, He's going to tell us to eat chocolate. To eat chocolate. Can you imagine anyone thinking that eating chocolate or any other food will help relieve the burdens of life? I mean, Christian folks, we think any struggle... We're Christians, right? And we think any struggle can be treated by a casserole. I mean, you're sitting on the edge of your seat and you hear the words take and you say, hey friend, Jesus went to the wilderness to pray. He's going to tell us to take a vacation. To take a vacation. Can you imagine anyone thinking that just getting away from life's burdens and taking a few days off is going to solve their problems? Hey, maybe Jesus is going to recommend a hunting trip or a trip to the beach. As big as I am, I can never, ever, ever envision myself sitting on the side of a tree on a seat not big enough for my seat that I have with a gun in my hand in freezing temperature waiting for Bambi to hop by so I can shoot it. I just can't get my hands around that one. Right? Or sitting out there with mosquitoes eating you alive in a boat trying to catch a fish that's staring at you through the water going, I just can't get my hands around it. But now you put me in a football stadium with sleeting rain and I'm there. No, you got it. You understand what I'm saying. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Maybe some thought, hey, when Adam and Eve messed up, God gave them new clothes. So I'll bet Jesus, I'll bet Jesus wants us to go shopping. Can you imagine anybody trying to lift life's burdens by going shopping? I hate shopping. Women love it. It's a cure. You know, when I said shopping, I saw women's eyes begin to glaze over. That's the first time I've seen some of you folks move in church. When I said shopping, those hands went like this. Glory, glory. (laughs) Can you imagine? Now, I am not saying, let me quickly say, I'm not saying that you don't need food in your life. I'm not saying that you don't, that that if you go drink a glass of wine, you're going to go to hell. I'm not going to say that you don't need to take a vacation. In fact, the Bible tells us that Jesus took the apostles away often. To spend time alone with them so they could, they could fellowship together. Because see, the demands of public ministry are great and he needed quality time with them. I'm, I, you know, I mention these possibilities in a humorous way because I want us to stop and reflect and think a minute about what is God really trying to say to us? What's he really trying to say to us? If you were hearing this teaching for the first time and Jesus 
just talked about how the burdens of life are weighing you down, you would have been stunned by his words, take my yoke upon you. They probably would have said, say what? Say what? Some of them probably gasp in the crowd. Yoke? Take his yoke? Man, I'm already burdened. I'm already loaded down. I'm already overwhelmed. Life is crashing in on me. I don't even feel like I can stand up underneath it. And he's telling me I've got to add more to it. Well, here's why it's paradoxical. It's because a yoke is an instrument of service. And there's two things that the yoke symbolizes. It symbolizes first that it's an instrument of service. And secondly... That it's an instrument of submission. Let's look at those two. First, you put a yoke on an animal so it can do the work that needs to be done as the animal submits to the leadership of the master. Has the master instructed you and me to do anything since we came out of the waters of baptism? Has he? Yes, he has. He told you to study to show yourself approved unto God. He told you, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the habit of some. He told you, as you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. He's told you and me to live a life of faith. He's told you and me to be faithful, to be honorable. He's told you and me that we ought to have sanctification going on. We haven't arrived yet. We're not there. We're works in progress. But are we progressing? He tells Timothy through Paul in 1 Timothy 4 that he needs to excel in five areas of his spiritual life. How are we doing with that? How are we doing with that? Have you helped anybody come to Christ? Have you even introduced them to somebody who can tell them how to get to Christ? Or have you been so afraid and so within yourself that you won't do it? Colossians 1.29 says, For this reason I labor, I strive, according to His power working in me. Paul discovered the truth of what Jesus was saying when he said, Christ's power working in me. It's not about you. It's not about your ability. It's about God. He has never called us for our ability but for our availability. How available are you? How available are you? Hmm. By His grace, by His faith, by His power, you can do more than you ever thought possible. Jesus said, I want to do my work in my ministry with my power for my glory. I want you to let me work through you. Some of you are busy right now. Some of you in this room are busy right now. You look at your schedule and you say, you know, Preacher, I've heard you talk before about going on mission trips, maybe down to Mexico, India. I, I've heard about that. I've heard a lot about it. But you know what? I, I just, I just, in my schedule, there is just no possible way I can find any time to get away and do something like that. But you know what the truth is? You may really need to do it. You may really need to go. You might be surprised. It might be the very thing that God wants to happen in your life. Working where people live in cardboard houses and dirt floors, yet they smile so slap happy they don't know any better. I thought it was a myth when people told me that people in Juarez, Mexico lived in, 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 in cardboard houses. I said, oh, they're cra it's crazy. Because I saw it with my eyes. 
till I saw it with my eyes. They would hang a, a dish, a satellite dish on the side of their house, hooked up to nothing. But the dish meant status. Boy, look what I have. Look what I have. And I'll never forget, as we pulled out of Juarez, the last time we were there, and we were passing out uh, sack, sacks full of toys and tracks and stuff, we had three kids out playing in the front yard in the dirt. And we stopped, and I rolled down the window, and I held these bags out to them, and they, two boys and a girl ran up, and they grabbed those. And the little girl grabbed hers and stopped and then reached up like that. And they all cried because I was crying. Because I picked that girl. I want to just pull her right on in the window and just keep going. Because young women in Mexico and Juarez are being killed by the hundreds. Because these women have to work. And they have to walk through the desert to, the, to, to get to where they work. And on their way out there and back, they're being molested and then killed. I wanted to take that little girl bring her back to America where she might have a shot at it. But man, I tell you, that grabs your heart, buddy. That grabs your heart, folks. But I want you just to look around your neighborhood. Would you just look around your neighborhood and see a little kid that needs a hug? See a little kid that needs encouragement? Because they're everywhere. They're running through this church. We got them sitting up here on the front row. Is this not, is this not awesome? I love having our teenagers right up here. I love having them up here. See, they can sleep up here and you'll never know it. You'll think they're praying. All right? They just like you now. I don't know. I don't laugh too hard back there. I got you. I got you. Posture of prayer. I got you. One of our members told me, said, hey, I like these chairs. Man, they're padded on top and help me when I'm sleeping. You know, so, <laughs> praise the Lord. Except that drill spot that's on the carpet underneath you. That, other than that, everything's great. But I know you're busy. I know that. Working where people are living in cardboard houses, dirt floors, and smiling can create such joy in your life. If you'll just open your eyes, your worst day is better than their every day. Another yoke some might consider is working in the nursery at church. We always need nursery workers. I wish we had more nursery workers. We need... There's two rooms in the church that are the most important rooms in the church. The bathroom and the nursery. Because if you go to the bathroom and it don't smell good, you're not coming back to that church. And if you've got little babies and you take them to the nursery and it don't look right and smell right, you're not going to leave them babies in there. Uh-uh. You see, and, and the reason some of you really need to work in the nursery is that research shows that the average preschooler will smile, giggle, and laugh 400 times a day. And the average adult smiles, giggles, and laughs less than 10 times a day. Some of you need laughter in your life. So working in the nursery will get it for you because they just laugh at you all the time. <laughs> and some of you need to laugh. My little granddaughter, eight months old, I love to walk in the room. I say, Kelsey, and she'll look up and she'll... Oh, old tooth, toothless head of hers. Well, she's getting a couple of them pumping in there now, but... Because she don't know who I am, but boy, some guy's talking to me. Okay. Great stuff. Great stuff. I love little Emily. Every Sunday I get to get into Emily and say, hi, Emily. And occasionally she'll smile at me. Cindy walks up. What's that all about? I'm the one with the money, not her. 
You know it's true. Now, don't you? <laughs> you know that's true. It's the only reason dads are around, just to fork out money. Amen? Amen. Whoa, whoa. Oh, we just had a revival break out in here. <laughs> but you see, we need to invest ourselves in laughter and joy, don't we? I mean, we, there's too many burdens out there to not laugh our way through. Amen? Amen and amen. The yoke is an instrument of service. It is not rest resulting from the absence of work. It is the willingness to embrace what God's called you to do. And then the second concept that's given about this yoke is related to us uh, recognizing it as an instrument of submission. There must come a point where you stop saying, God, here is my schedule. You see how busy I am. So if you're going to bless me, then can you at least do it by Tuesday at 2 p.m.? Because that's the only time I can get you worked in. Taking the yoke of Christ is saying, God, you are the master. You created me. You know what needs to be done. You know my gifts and my talents. Use me for your glory. No conditions. Just use me. I've had many of you volunteer over the years for different things. And, and, and you come and you go. And you come and you go. And you start it and you don't finish it. You start it and you don't finish it. You start it and you don't finish it. That's the problem with being in a church for as long as I've been in one and, and your pastor is that I know what you've done. And what, now, I don't sit there and go, man, see what he, he's singling me out. He's singling me out. I am not. I didn't call your name out. But the Holy Spirit might be going, hey, 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 hey. You see, if you're going to start something, finish it. If you're going to start something, finish it. If you're going to start something, finish it. There's the problem, isn't it? There's the problem. Understanding that the yoke, by this time in the first century, was also used to define a rabbi's particular teaching or philosophy can also give us great insight. A yoke would be like us describing a football coach's philosophy. You knew that was coming. We might say the coach preaches running the football. And we could describe another team's offensive system as West Coast or spread offense. A defensive coach may be committed to the 3-4 blitzing defense instead of the 4-3 traditional defense. Taking the yoke of Christ is to acknowledge that Jesus is the master and you are the servant. He is the Lord. He is the boss. We are the employee. He's the coach. We're the player. And when we take His yoke upon our lives, we embrace His position and submit to Almighty God who knows what is best for our life. Charles Lowry penned an article entitled, The Angels Are Laughing. And he described his Achilles tendon injury and the ensuing situation. The injury required surgery and affected his attitude by creating a deeper appreciation of his position. Listen to the part of this article. The next time I know, I, I'm showing up at the hospital and discovering my insurance covered as much as my hospital gown. I'm writing checks for services rendered. They give me a time-release pill and told me, to sit, to, told me it started working when my check clears. My life is going downhill in a hurry. We stopped at a restaurant. My wife wanted to cheer me up. I ordered the catch of the day. They told me they hadn't caught anything. Pretty soon I realized the guy that goes around telling everyone they need to have a good attitude is the person sitting on the couch being a grouch potato. 
But just for a day, I decided I needed to start practicing what I preach. I noticed that ungrateful people make hateful people and eventually destroy everything around them. Grateful people become great people and develop other people around them. I thought about that phrase in life. It is not your position, it's your disposition. It is true in business. It is true in the spiritual world. It is your position in Christ that will allow you to see a good situation because you can trust God in every situation. You will never see the sun rise looking west. Why? Because you're in the wrong position. I can see that I was resenting my situation rather than receiving my situation. The position is really simple. I was reminded that when I pray with my young granddaughter, we fold our hands and say, God is great, God is good, let us thank Him. I was not thanking Him for my bum leg. But I realized I needed enough faith to bless Him and to thank Him that He uh, could bring blessing out of blunder. Jesus said, take my yoke. And when we place ourselves in the position of humility, we move into a position of receiving God's blessing. Just as you will never see the sunrise looking west, you will never experience the blessings and the rest for your soul until you are willing to do what God says and do it His way. The sooner you get there, the faster those blessings come. Now, Jesus concludes this message about transformation By saying that we must learn of Him and learn from Him. The word easy means tailor-made or fitting perfectly. But today I want us to focus on that word learn. You may have come to church all of your life, attended Bible college, but you've not even scratched the surface of what God desires for you and in you. The Apostle Paul wrote, wrote one half of the New Testament. At the end of his life, he says this, Not that I have already obtained it I have, or, or have become perfect, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me. The Apostle Peter described growing in Christ in 2 Peter, 5, uh, excuse me, 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. Uh, and, and he adds to faith, adding to knowledge, adding to goodness, adding to self-control and godliness. Ask yourself, does that describe your life? Are you adding to anything? Or are you the same as the way you've always been? You see, it's easy to get up and walk out, isn't it? It's easy to sit through a sermon, get up and walk away. It's real easy. It's more difficult to get your life involved. Are you adding to your faith? Are you increasing measure at all in your life? read a story about a preacher on his son's 16th birthday against his wife's wise counsel and definitely against his father-in-law's advice he took his son hang gliding the father-in-law was a former launch director for NASA and so when he knew he, I mean he knew how to make things fly and when the preacher told him that they were going to give the grandson hang gliding lessons, he said, that's a bad idea. You see, the preacher was all for it until they got out there and the guy directing the operation was wearing pink Crocs. Several other things created an unsettling feeling within this preacher. Uh, the guy with the pink Crocs uh, and shoes looked like he had just walked off the, uh, a distant beach. He says, hey, dude, you guys want to take a flight today? 
And so the preacher, thinking, there's no beach around here, am I, and I'm not a dude. His doubt continued to mount when he heard the, the flights were delayed because of high wind that was described as being five miles an hour or more. Oh man, you could blow your nose and get a five mile an hour wind going. And then the, plo- the tow plane wouldn't work and that was a big problem. But while they were waiting, the pink croc guy calls out to Bubba. Bubba comes out looking like he'd lived under the hood of a car for the last 50 years, carrying this huge monkey wrench. Walks over to the plane, bam, and he strikes the uh, plane's engine a couple of times, and that seemed to knock something loose, and by this time, the preacher's wife is in cardiac arrest. Now try it, yells Bubba, and so the plane, the tow plane, sputters to a start, and the pink croc dude, happy because he responds with a toothless grin and that thumbs up. Preacher's son, it was his time to go hang gliding, and he began to pray, Lord Jesus, you've been gracious to forgive my stupidity before. Please do it one more time. And then the preacher begins to understand, because you see, when you hang glide, they strap you in a harness. They call it a yoke. And in the yoke, you lay in a horizontal position, slightly suspended off the ground. And then something incredible takes place. The plane with the pink pink croc dude flying it takes off, pulling the glider with a tow rope. And they go 20 yards and whoosh, the hang glider takes off in the air. And when the yoke without the harness, without the yoke and without the harness, the hang glider takes off and would have never gone the thousands of feet that it went. But with the yoke, the preacher's son went higher and farther than he ever could have gone on his own. Folks, let me tell you something. Almighty God is telling you and me today that if we will take the yoke of Christ and place it upon ourselves, He will take you higher than you've ever dreamed possible. He will teach you some things that you never thought you could learn. And you don't have to trust some dude in pink crocs But you just simply have to come, take, and learn. Father, this morning, would you move among us today? And would you move our hearts so that we might respond to you? And Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing a hymn of invitation. If you have a decision to make, would you do it this morning? Father.